Section 11 of the Journal of a Tour to the Hebrides with Samuel Johnson by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Sunday, 12th September. It was a beautiful day, and although we did not approve of travelling on Sunday, we resolved to set out, as we were in an island from whence one must take occasion as it serves. MacLeod and Talisker sailed in a boat of Rases for Scouser to take the shortest way to Dunvegan. McCruslick went with them to Scouser, from whence he was to go to Slate, and so to the mainland. We were resolved to pay a visit at Kingsburg and see the celebrated Miss Flora MacDonald, who is married to the present Mr. MacDonald of Kingsburg, so took that road, though not so near. All the family but Lady Rasie walked down to the shore to see us depart. Rasie himself went with us in a large boat with eight oars, built in his island, as did Mr. Malcolm MacLeod, Mr. Donald McQueen, Dr. MacLeod and some others. We had a most pleasant sail between Rasie and Skye, and passed by a cave where Martin says fowls were caught by lighting fire in the mouth of it. Malcolm remembers this, but it is not now practised as few fowls come into it. We spoke of death. Dr. Johnson on this subject observed that the boastings of some men as to dying easily were idle talk, proceeding from partial views. I mentioned Hawthorne's Cypress Grove, where it is said that the world is a mere show, and that it is unreasonable for a man to wish to continue in the showroom after he has seen it. Let him go cheerfully out, and give place to other spectators. Johnson. Yes, sir, if he is sure he is to be well after he goes out of it. But if he is to grow blind after he goes out of the showroom, and never to see anything again, or if he does not know whither he is to go next, a man will not go cheerfully out of a showroom. No wise man will be contented to die if he thinks he is to go into a state of punishment. Nay, no wise man will be contented to die if he thinks he is to fall into annihilation. For however unhappy any man's existence may be, he yet would rather have it than not exist at all. No, there is no rational principle by which a man can die contented, but a trust in the mercy of God through the merits of Jesus Christ. This short sermon, delivered with an earnest tone, in a boat upon the sea, which was perfectly calm, on a day appropriated to religious worship, while every one listened with an air of satisfaction, had a most pleasing effect upon my mind. Pursuing the same train of serious reflection, he added that it seemed certain that happiness could not be found in this life, because so many had tried to find it, in such a variety of ways, and had not found it. We reached the harbour of Portree in Skye, which is a large and good one. There was lying in it a vessel to carry off the emigrants, called the Nestor. It made a short settlement of the difference between a chief and his clan. Nestor componeri lites interpoliden festinat et inter atridon. We approached her, and she hoisted her colours. Dr. Johnson and Mr. McQueen remained in the boat. Razi and I and the rest went on board of her. She was a very pretty vessel, 
and, as we were told, the largest in Clyde. Mr. Harrison, the captain, showed her to us. The cabin was commodious and even elegant. There was a little library, finely bound. Portree has its name from King James V, having landed there in his tour through the Western Isles, Ray in Erse being king, as Ray is in Italian, so it is Port Royal. There was here a tolerable inn. On our landing, I had the pleasure of finding a letter from home, and there were also letters to Dr. Johnson and me from Lord Elibank, which had been sent after us from Edinburgh. His lordship's letter to me was as follows. Dear Boswell, I flew to Edinburgh the moment I heard of Mr. Johnson's arrival, but so defective was my intelligence that I came too late. It is but justice to believe that I could never forgive myself, nor deserve to be forgiven by others, if I was to fail in any mark of respect to that very great genius. I hold him in the highest veneration. For that very reason I was resolved to take no share in the merit, perhaps guilt, of enticing him to honour this country with a visit. I could not persuade myself there was anything in Scotland worthy to have a summer of Samuel Johnson bestowed on it. But since he has done us that compliment, for heaven's sake inform me of your motions. I will attend them most religiously, and though I should regret to let Mr. Johnson go a mile out of his way on my account, old as I am, I shall be glad to go five hundred miles to enjoy a day of his company. Have the charity to send a council post with intelligence. The post does not suit us in the country. At any rate, write to me. I will attend you in the north, when I shall know where to find you. I am, my dear Boswell, your sincerely obedient humble servant, Elibank. August 21st, 1773. The letter to Dr. Johnson was in these words. Dear Sir, I was to have kissed your hands at Edinburgh the moment I heard of you, but you was gone. I hope my friend Boswell will inform me of your motions. It will be cruel to deprive me an instant of the honour of attending you. As I value more than any king in Christendom, I will perform that duty with infinitely greater alacrity than any courtier. I can contribute but little to your entertainment, but my sincere esteem for you gives me some title to the opportunity of expressing it. I dare say you are by this time sensible that things are pretty much the same, as when Buchanan complained of being born solo et seculo in erudito. Let me hear of you, and be persuaded that none of your admirers is more sincerely devoted to you than, dear sir, your most obedient and most humble servant, Elibank. Dr. Johnson, on the following Tuesday, answered for both of us thus. My lord, on the rugged shore of Skye, I had the honour of your lordship's letter, and can with great truth declare that no place is so gloomy, but that it would be cheered by such a testimony of regard from a mind so well qualified to estimate characters, and to deal out approbation in its due proportions. If I have more than my share, it is your lordship's fault, for I have always reverenced your judgment too much to exalt myself in your presence by any false pretensions. Mr. Boswell and I are at present at the disposal of the winds, and therefore cannot fix the time at which we shall have the honour of seeing your lordship, 
but we should either of us think ourselves injured by the supposition that we would miss your lordship's conversation when we could enjoy it for i have often declared that i never met you without going away a wiser man i am my lord your lordship's most obedient and most humble servant samuel johnson sky september fourteenth seventeen seventy three at Portree, Mr. Donald McQueen went to church and officiated in Erse, and then came to dinner. Dr. Johnson and I resolved that we should treat the company, so I played the landlord or master of the feast, having previously ordered Joseph to pay the bill. Sir James MacDonald intended to have built a village here which would have done great good. A village is like a heart to a country. It produces a perpetual circulation and gives the people an opportunity to make profit of many little articles which would otherwise be in a good measure lost. We had here a dinner at Pretere Nihil. Dr. Johnson did not talk. When we were about to depart, we found that Razi had been beforehand with us and that all was paid. I would fain have contested this matter with him, but seeing him resolved, I declined it. We parted with cordial embraces from him and worthy Malcolm. In the evening, Dr. Johnson and I remounted our horses, accompanied by Mr. McQueen and Dr. MacLeod. It rained very hard. We rode what they call six miles upon Raz's lands in Sky to Dr. MacLeod's house. On the road, Dr. Johnson appeared to be somewhat out of spirits. When I talked of our meeting Lord Elibank, he said, I cannot be with him much. I long to be again in civilised life, but can stay but a short while. He meant at Edinburgh. He said, Let us go to Dunvegan tomorrow. Yes, said I, if it is not a deluge. At any rate, he replied. This showed a kind of fretful impatience, nor was it to be wondered at, considering our disagreeable ride. I feared he would give up Marl and Ekemkill, for he said something of his apprehensions of being detained by bad weather in going to Marl and Iona. However, I hoped well. We had a dish of tea at Dr. MacLeod's, who had a pretty good house, where was his brother, a half-pay officer. His lady was a polite, agreeable woman. Dr. Johnson said he was glad to see that he was so well married, for he had an esteem for physicians. The doctor accompanied us to Kingsburg, which is called a mile farther, but the computation of sky has no connection whatever with real distance. I was highly pleased to see Dr. Johnson safely arrived at Kingsburg and received by the hospitable Mr. MacDonald, who, with the most respectful attention, supported him into the house. Kingsburg was completely the figure of a gallant Highlander, exhibiting the graceful mien and manly looks which our popular Scotch song has justly attributed to that character. He had his tartan plaid thrown about him, a large blue bonnet with a knot of black ribbon like a cockade, a brown short coat of a kind of duffel, a tartan waistcoat with gold buttons and gold buttonholes, a bluish filibeg and tartan hose. He had jet black hair tied behind, and was a large, stately man, with a steady, sensible countenance. There was a comfortable parlour with a good fire, and a dram went round. 
By and by supper was served, at which there appeared the lady of the house, the celebrated Miss Flora MacDonald. She is a little woman, of a genteel appearance, and uncommonly mild and well-bred. To see Dr. Samuel Johnson, the great champion of the English Tories, salute Miss Flora MacDonald in the Isle of Skye, was a striking sight, for though somewhat congenial in their notions, it was very improbable they should meet here. Miss Flora MacDonald, for so I shall call her, told me she heard upon the mainland, as she was returning home about a fortnight before, that Mr. Boswell was coming to Skye, and one Mr. Johnson, a young English buck, with him. He was highly entertained with this fancy. Giving an account of the afternoon which we passed at Annock, he said, I, being a buck, had Miss Inn to make tea. He was rather quiescent to-night, and went early to bed. I was in a cordial humour and promoted a cheerful glass. The punch was excellent. Honest Mr. McQueen observed that I was in high glee, my governor being gone to bed. Yet in reality my heart was grieved when I recollected that Kingsburg was embarrassed in his affairs and intended to go to America. However, nothing but what was good was present and I pleased myself in thinking that so spirited a man would be well everywhere. I slept in the same room with Dr. Johnson. Each had a neat bed, with tartan curtains, in an upper chamber. End of section 11